First Kings is going to pick up now uh, the events surrounding David's death uh, and the skirmish for power and control that that brings with the siblings. Now, I don't, spoiler alert, all right, because you're going to know which sibling wins out. It would be Solomon over older brother Adonijah. We're going to see that even tonight. How about a 30-second overview of the book of 1 Kings? Chapters 1 through 11 is the first half of the book. And that uh, covers 40 years of Solomon's reign. And Israel is going to rise to her greatest heights. And Solomon is going to build that temple. Uh, but then he's going to decline and the nation with him. And the second half of 1 Kings is chapters 12 through uh, 22. And that is where the kingdom splits, north and south again. So you have the 10 tribes of the the north called Israel and the southern two tribes of Judah, which will be called Judah. And um, Benjamin is also on board with Judah. And so uh, that will go all the way into 2 Kings. Uh, It's in 1 Kings that we meet Elijah. And in 2 Kings, we meet Elisha. Elijah is brought in really to kind of bring uh, Israel and Judah back to their senses, uh, but it, it doesn't work, even through the, uh, pr- the preaching of Elijah. And so that's where we're headed for now. Israel's king is uh, sick in bed. David is older now, and the inevitable is pretty obvious. Everybody knows what's coming, and everybody's asking the question, who's going to sit on David's throne next? Uh, who gets that power? Uh, Verse one. When King David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. So his servants said to him, let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him so she could lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Amishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no intimate relations with her. So let's pause there. Number one, David's declining. David is declining. Now, if you love David, as most of us do, this scene really is full of pathos. It's it's really a sad, and I've always thought of opening with these first four verses as a little bit awkward, a little bit of TMI, a little bit of too much information. Uh, uh, It's important because the Holy Spirit never gives us TMI, always gives us just enough uh, for our edification. And it's important to know what sets up Adonijah as coup d'etat, if you will, his overthrow bid to get the throne. And plus, Abishag is going to play an important role uh, just coming up here. And so it's a sad scene put before us. David is a man who's larger than life. And now suddenly he's so old and weak, he can't keep himself warm, let alone rule the nation. So if you do the math, David is just 70 years old. He's not much more than 70. But as one writer said, with David, it's not just the years. It's the mileage. Thank you. All right. I think it would be better to count David's actual years as dog years. And so, because he has lived like four or five men 
have lived. I mean, he's killed lions and bears with his bare hands as a teenager defending his father's flock out in the fields. He's killed a giant with a slingshot. He's been fighting fierce armies and, and, and giant Philistines his whole life. He spent almost a decade living like one of those survivalists out in the wilderness, drinking puddles of water from caves. And for years, he lived that way. And so it's no wonder at 70, he's kind of run out of some gas. You know, um, he seemed indestructible, didn't he? I mean, a valiant, good-looking warrior, conqueror, handsome, royal sire of a harem with many princes, and yet he's come to this. It's an unwelcome reminder to all of us. Uh, James says, what is your life? You're a mist, you're a little fog that comes in in the morning, and the sun shines, and poof, you're gone. That's all of our lives. I, I remember, and I've mentioned this before, Billy Graham was interviewed, I was watching it, and they asked him, Uh, What was one of his greatest realizations in life? And he said, the brevity of life. How short life really is and how fast it goes. I mean, seriously. I mean, where does it go? I'm speechless sometimes. I I look in the mirror and it's like, Dad, how did my father get upon my face? So, you know, just... Unbelievable, it just, it just, I mean, I am 11 months short of being able to live in, um, no, not the, no. what's it called? I, I've blocked it out because it's so traumatic. No, the beautiful Oakmont. 11 more months and I qualify. That's unbelievable to me. How did that happen? I was always the youngest guy in the room. Do you remember that? No, not, never mind. <laughs> hearing, your hearing is going to go. Your eyesight's going to grow dim. Your limbs are going to be weak and brittle. You're going to be confined to a bed where it's hard to stay warm. That's what happens when you get old. And, and I hope I've cheered you up tonight. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 12 puts it this way. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come when the years approach, and you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, Phil Riken, one of my favorite commentators, he said about this verse, if we, like David, give our hearts to God when we're young, we will still remember him when we are old, and he will remember us. So David's teeth are chattering from the cold, and so too his servants are chattering uh, with uh, the co-workers to find out who is going to be uh, the next king, but also they want to find out how they could help David, and so the servants want to revive this king. Uh, They've tried woolen pajamas and piling on the covers. That's not going to work, so uh, certainly they're thinking we're going to get him a beautiful concubine, and... uh, Uh, So they conduct Miss Israel pageant, right? (laughs) And they find and crown Abishag to no avail. That's the awkward moment there. The awkward moment really says this. The former David, the David everyone remembers him to be, is gone forever. And the past, uh, he is past being revitalized and no one is more happy to hear that than number four son, Adonijah, verse five. 
Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, what do you, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Now Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they gave him their support. So we have David declining, number two. We have Adonijah conspiring. Now, here's what Warren Wearsby says about this verse. A real leader looks at a crisis and asks, what can I do that will best help the people? An opportunist looks at a crisis and asks, how can I use this situation to promote myself and get what I want? Opportunists usually show up uninvited, focus attention on themselves, and end up making the crisis worse. Adonijah was that kind of man. Now, Adonijah steps forward and says, if you will, uh, king me. Now, when, when you get to play checkers, to get to say king me is a good thing because now you get to move any way you want because you're the king. Uh, you can move forward and backwards and all over the board, right? Now, that's cool in checkers, but it's lethal in the kingdom of God where there's only one king. So handsome and spoiled brat Adonijah is 35 years old at this time. He's the oldest living son So he thinks, because the rest of the world does it this way, the oldest son inherits the throne. But God never worked that way. God was like, it may be the oldest son, and it may be not. I'll choose him. And so it was his time to shine, so he thought. Now, he was the fourth son, as I said. Sons number one, two, and three uh, are out of the picture. Uh, he's following in his uh, brother's older brother Absalom's footsteps, who tried this a few chapters ago. He's son number three. That cost him his life, but not before he killed his older half-brother Amnon, who was son number one. So we got son number one and son number three gone. Son number two, his name's Chiliab, and everybody just says he must have died young because we never hear about him after his birth. And so son number one's gone, son number two, son, son number three is gone. Um, Adonijah's son number four. And now he thinks it's his time to shine. So he puts himself out there. Dad is down for the count. It's my time to shine after all. Israel needs a strong, uh, handsome guy like me. You know, with the help of a few traitors, Adonijah is going to proclaim himself as king. Now, verse 5 says it it very eloquently, Adonijah put himself forward. Uh, King James, he exalted himself. The word means to puff himself up, uh, and he says, I will be king. Now, it also tells you that he had kind of a limo. You know, he had had this beautiful chariot. He hired 50 uh, buff bodyguards to run in front of him and announce wherever he showed up in town, you had the limo coming and you had the bodyguards and they're all announcing, hail, this this big, important, rich prince is is stepping out with his shades and he's good looking and that, you know, it's all gone to his head. Now, was Solomon thinking of Adonijah when he wrote the Proverbs 
Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. That's Solomon, little brother. Proverbs 25 and verse 6. You know, it's Christian living or kingdom living, for that matter, 1A. This, Peter says it. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace and favor to the humble. That is just lesson number one. Jesus' very famous refrain over and over again in his teachings. Uh, Matthew 23, it appears, uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's just, you know, we struggle with this every day, every day to put ourselves forward and, and to uh, serve ourselves and not be other-centered. And it gets us into all kinds of trouble because when we sit on the throne, it usurps God's authority and it kind of inverts our entire lives, turns us upside down because it's not the way God uh, has designed life to be. God has designed him to be on the throne and us to be servants, not only of God, but of one another. I was talking with a very gifted uh, pastor. In fact, we had a coffee about uh, two weeks ago, and we were talking, and he, he was initiating the conversation about struggling with a feeling of wanting to use his gifts and abilities more, uh, struggling not to place uh, our feeling of us, uh, worth on how well known we are or how, how our ministries have flourished or not. And so we were talking about that struggle. And he said he was at a big conference. He's a very gifted speaker, but he's not currently in the ministry right now. And so he was at a conference and somebody meant it as a compliment and elbowed him and said, why aren't you up there? And he said, that so stung me because he said, I, I know I could be up there. I know that I have the ability. And he does. He has the ability. And we talked about that, about, about trying to let God open doors and, and not to, to be promoting ourselves, you know? And he said, uh, he told the guy who elbowed him, hey, why aren't you up there? He said, because the Lord hasn't opened a door for me to do that. Well, why don't you send him a tape? <laughs> oh, don't put it past us. Don't put it past anybody. You know, and you could justify that in your mind so easily. Oh, it's for the kingdom of God. And after all, God's given me this ability. And so many people could be blessed. I need to get busy here and make this happen. That's just sick and wrong. Amen? Amen. Promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts one down and he sets another up. Psalm 75, verse six. You know, that said, if you want to excel in your field or you have ambition, God has given us that to be the best that we can possibly be for him. How about that verse that says, he who wants to be an elder uh, desires a noble thing. So for me, I think it all comes down to motivation of the heart. God looks at our heart. So when we want to be ambitious, check your heart. Why do you want to be ambitious and to have more or to do more or to be more? You have to, that's a real tricky thing. 
Uh, just before we move on, just so you know, the I will be king is in the emphatic in the Hebrew, which means I and only I will be. And also the verb to exalt yourself there, it's in the uh, continuous action, meaning it's not a one-time event. He's always like this. This is how he's always, he had been always exalting himself. And so Adonijah was that kind of guy. And sadly, he was never called out for it. And, and in, in verse six, in the parentheses, it says, and by the way, David never even asked him, why are you like that? Why are you behaving like that? David never confronted him about this self-exaltation thing that he's always had as just even a young man growing up. So the Holy Spirit is going to indict David right here in a little parentheses that say, you know, uh, David was partly to blame here. David was an indulgent father. Uh, The New Living Translation has it. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? I love King James. King James says, and his father David had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? So the verb is, the verb is not wanting to cause uh, Adonijah not to like him. That's what the idea is, that David wanted to be good friends with him. Now, if we put on our Dr. Phil caps, all right, which is a good thing here, right? Uh, David didn't have a good relationship with his dad. Now, you can recall that back, um, I believe it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, you can see that he he was out of sorts with his dad. Now, that's not an excuse. Uh, We have a new father when we come into faith in uh, God. God becomes our father, and we can relearn, and we can heal, and we can grow. We can break the cycle if we want. Uh, David gives two shout-outs to his mother in the Psalms. Psalm 86 said, Psalm 116, but where's dad? So, so he's, he's parenting in his weakness out of a sense, sensitivity. He doesn't want to see replicated in, in his children's lives what happened to him and the bad feelings that he had between him and his dad. He wants to avoid that at all costs. And the way he's going to do that is never say a, a negative word about anything Adonijah does. And he did this with the other two boys, too. It's not a good thing. Well, you know, he never wanted to upset the relationship or calling him on the carpet or challenging him. Who wants to see our precious little cherub look at us in anger and say, I hate you, right? Who wants to have that happen? But I would rather have the child's disfavor than the Lord's disfavor. And so um, the lesson here, parenting from personal weakness instead of from scriptural wisdom, always will bring failure, not success. Isn't it interesting that Solomon is writing the Proverbs all about the importance of disciplining your children? Why? Because he watched three of his brothers destroyed by it, by the lack of it. So it's Solomon who wrote, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you spank him, he won't die. If you discipline him, he will say, it will save his soul from death. Proverbs 23, 13. How about this? Then, then Solomon. Solomon is writing this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the paddle drives it far from him. Proverbs 22 and 15. Here's another one. Solomon. 
about his brothers. The spanking and correction impart wisdom to Adonijah. Whoop, no, I didn't say that. See, are you even paying attention? You should have caught that. You should have, I slid that by you and nobody caught it because you were, at, you know, thinking about what you're going to do tonight, but that's okay. All right. The spanking and correction impart wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his parents. He watched this. He lived this and the Holy Spirit put it upon Solomon's heart to be able to bring that to the world. And it doesn't help in verse six that he's got the handsome gene like Absalom. Adonijah is very handsome. He's a little on the Fabio side, you know. He's easy on the eyes, as one writer put it, you know. And so he's got his bodyguards, and he looked looking good. I like what one uh, writer said. Good looks plus privilege is usually not conducive to character development. <laughs> Amen? And all the ordinary people said, amen. How many of... And, and another writer, one more. How many of the beautiful people who missed the whole point of life and ended up perishing would have traded their looks and their privilege for an ordinary life? So the royal prince of privilege, Mr. Hollywood, with the looks and the virility his father has apparently lost, who's never been told no with the help of a few traders, is throwing a party and you're all invited. It's in honor of himself as the new self-proclaimed monarch. Okay, so he's got two bad apples with him. Uh, Adonijah, verse 7, uh, takes Joab and Abiathar, the priest, into confidence, and they agree to help him, Adonijah, become king. Now, it's so sad, because every overthrow needs a couple guys on the inside. These are two of David's lifelong friends, and what are their problems? Well, number one, Joab. He was commander-in-chief, right? But Joab was kind of all over the map. He'd, he'd just kill you as soon as look at you, you know? And, and he did, a few guys. And he's the one who killed Absalom, you know? Uh, and, and he's kind of mad because David fired him and, and replaced him with Amasa. Remember that? So Adonijah knows Joab's the kind of guy who'd probably go with me because he's kind of probably still mad. He's a hothead. Right? And then number two is Abiathar, the priest. He was a good friend of David's. What are you doing? And you know, uh, he's probably jealous because the high priest Zadok is actually from Jerusalem and he's a Jebusite blood and that kind of gives him the edge. And so one writer said, nations, churches, and families and lives torn apart because a few immature people driven by jealousy and hurt feelings whose sole mission becomes revenge and self-promotion can't get over themselves. When it's all about yourself or you're around somebody like that, batten down the hatches and uh, man the battle stations because there's going to be bloodshed. That's how it is, emotionally or physically. Okay, so Prince Fabio recruits these two power players. It's time to make his move. Verse 8, but Zadok the priest... Beniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, uh, and Rei, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Uh, Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, fattened calves at the stone of Zoleth near En-Rogel. He invited all his brothers, and there's a lot of them, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah 
or the special guard or his brother Solomon. So we've got David declining, Adonijah conspiring. Now the bad guys are partying. Uh, Notice first quickly, Adonijah knows instinctively who he can go to uh, who would betray and who wouldn't. That's always interesting to me, that uh, bitter people attract bitter people, and gossips go to gossips, and and people just know who they could go to. Uh, One writer, again, our secret bitternesses, our private envyings, our potential to compromise are more visible than we care to realize, because he knows who to ask. He doesn't invite certain people because he knows there's no way. They're too true blue, you know? Zadok's too loyal. Benaiah's too devoted. Nathan's too godly. Shimei, Rei, too solid to mess with. But these two guys over here, huh, everybody knows that he has a little streak, a little raw edge to him. He's a little edgy, a little carnal. I think I could get somewhere with him. And so he proclaims himself king. They have a big party. They throw a big barbecue. Uh, They're toasting and their beer is flowing and the steaks are grilling and laughter is filling the place and Adonijah is glowing. He's got all the attention. And all the brothers are there except one, Solomon. Why? Because Adonijah knows he's doing the wrong thing. Uh, David has already said this, and I quote, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. That was said in First Chronicles recorded there in chapter 28. So they all know. They know. He knows what he's doing is wrong. That's why he is not inviting Solomon. Now, David may not be a good disciplinarian, but the Lord is not afraid to bring Adonijah and his delusions of grandeur down to the ground. So here comes the smackdown, verses 11 through 27. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, so Solomon's mother, have you not heard that an Adonijah has become king without our Lord David's knowing it? Now then let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in to King David and say to him, my Lord the king, didn't you swear to me that your servant, about your servant, surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me and he will sit on the throne? Why then has Adonijah become king. While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room where Abishag, awkward, the Shumanite, was attending him. Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. What is it you want? The king asked. She said to him, my lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed a great number of cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and have invited all the king's sons, Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army. But he hasn't invited Solomon, your servant. My lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. Yeah, to say the least. Verse 22. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan, who's kind of come up with this whole plan, the prophet arrives 
And they told the king, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, have you, my lord, the king, declared that Adonijah shall be king after you and that he will sit on your throne? Today he's gone down and sacrificed a great number of cattle, fat, and calved and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. Right now they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adonijah, but me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he didn't invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Well, so we've got David dying, Adonijah conspiring, the bad guys partying, and the good guys countering. Now, there's a counter conspiracy going on to correct the evil, which is poised to do great damage. Now, it only takes one person to stand up, one good heart to stand up when evil is poised to do great harm, to stand up and be willing with God's grace and with God's power to be used to quell that and to bring that uh, to a, a stop. And so Bathsheba is told by Nathan, hey, why don't you go in there? Now, it's interesting. Bathsheba and Nathan are the, in the context of when the prophecy came to David originally that the son born to Bathsheba would, would succeed him on the throne. It was those two people who were in the conversation. And so maybe this is going to help David uh, take some action by recalling, hey, here we are, the three of us again. And it was in the context of the three of our presence that this prophecy came that Solomon, not Adonijah, would be the next king. So she has to go in there with Miss Israel fluttering around. You know, Bathsheba, you know, she's, she's important. She's important. We have not heard a lot about her. She carries uh, great influence, as we're going to see in the coming chapters. And so uh, she shows David respect, and then she spills the beans. And here's a paraphrase. David, you yourself swore to me that God wanted Solomon on the throne. You said to me, and I quote, it's your son Bathsheba who will sit on the throne. But maybe you're not aware, David, Adonijah claiming himself as king, and the party is already in full swing with Joab, Abiathar, and all your sons. But guess who's not there? Solomon. If you don't do something about this, the second you're gone, me and Solomon will be right behind you. Now, everyone's looking to you now to find out who's going to be the next king. Right then, cue. Nathan comes in, and they say, hey, Nathan's here. Bathsheba goes away. And Nathan has the king's audience. He bows down and does all of this. Here's the paraphrase of that. Boss, I'm just wondering, did I miss something last staff meeting? Um, did you want Adonijah to be king? Because he's already got his hands on the crown. They're toasting him and carrying on their shoulders and singing, long live Adonijah. Me and your other loyal friends, of course, weren't invited. But I wanted to check with you first and see, maybe you changed your mind and didn't tell me or anybody else that you decided to once again cater to the lusts and cravings of your boy Adonijah. Well, fire came back into David's eyes. He's not dead yet. Verses 28 to 40. Um, So they call for Bathsheba to come back in. So she comes back into the king's presence and stands before him. Verse 29. 
The king then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, and kneeling before the king said, May my Lord King David live forever. Kind of a strange thing to say when he's on his deathbed, but... 32, King David said, now call in Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, all the good guys. When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servants with you and set Solomon, my son, on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then, are you, then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Aniah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kirathites and the Pelathites, those are our foreigners from Philistine territory who loved David, who were part of the good guys, went down and put Solomon on king David's mule and escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent the the sanctuary there, the tabernacle, and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing flutes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. All right, number five, David rallying. All right, so this is a king who knows how to fight. He knows how to fight the good fight. He's not done yet. The Holy Spirit kind of quickens the king so he can set the record straight. Uh, To Solomon's mom, he says, no worries, Bathsheba. Solomon's the next king. You'll be safe. Uh, He calls in his loyalists and even the foreigners. And he says, do a few things, five things. Get Solomon. Ride him on my mule. Uh, That was kind of like seeing the guy on Air Force One or uh, Elizabeth in her carriage. You know, there was an association there. Number two, let Zadok and the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him, not with any oil, but oil from the tabernacle. Blow the horn, the trumpet, say, long live King Solomon, and, uh, and let him sit on my throne. Put him out there in public on the throne. With me being alive, this is going to mean a lot here. So this, they have this massive celebration. Everybody's in love with the idea. All of Jerusalem now is catching on like wildfire and a God-inspired turnout that makes Adonijah's party kind of look pretty pathetic, uh, which is still in swing. So let's finish up. We'll be done, 41 to the end of the chapter. So Adonijah and all his guests who were with him heard this commotion as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, what's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, Abiathar's one of the traitors in the room, and his boy is not. So his boy knocks on the door, all right? Adonijah says, come in. 
a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Uh, no, not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelathites, and they have put him on the king's mule, and Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. From there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, on top of that, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. Also, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord, King David, saying, may your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. My favorite sentence in the whole chapter. <laughs> Verse 50, but Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. Then King Solomon sent men and they brought him down from the altar and Adonijah came and bowed down to his half-brother, King Solomon, and Solomon said, go home. That's my second favorite sentence. <laughs> Just go home already, please, go home. All right, so uh, David's declining, Adonijah's conspiring, bad guys are partying, good guys are countering, and David is rallying, and now the rebellion is crumbling. Now, the party's over, and, and by the way, the party always comes to an end. Doesn't seem like it when you're in it. The music is playing, the hormones go in, and you're distracted, you're so happy, you think, oh, I'm getting away with it. I'm having my time. And you just think, it's, I'll never be found out. The trumpet always blows, and the party's always over. The cops are always on the scene, amen? They just find you. That's their job, and they're good at it. <laughs> and so in the Hebrew, it could say they heard the sound, the guys partying, long live Adonijah, right? They, they heard the sound, and it put an end to their eating. I like that uh, interpretation as well. I love that the ground is shaking from the reverberation of the cheering, the chanting, the roar, the music, the trumpet. Now, Joab's a military guy, so he's trained. He's trained to be listening. So he's the one at the party that says, I hear something. <laughs> What's the roar out there? What's going on in the city? And that's where the ding-dong happens. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, who's at the door? And then here's the paraphrase. I have it. Adonijah says, come in. Oh, you're a good guy. You must have good news. And he goes, uh, no, I'm afraid not. You guys are busted. Uh, our Lord David just made your brother king over you and all of Israel. All of the cabinet officials that you didn't invite here have put Solomon on the king's mule, paraded him through the city, yelling, long live King Solomon. The high priest took the oil 
from the tabernacle and anointed him as king. And this very moment, he's sitting on David's throne. All the royal officials have come to visit David in his bedroom. And in the palace, they congratulated him and have heard from his own lips that he is the one behind Solomon's coronation. That's not good news for them. And then, you know, that, uh, my favorite line, at hearing this, Adonijah's guest arose in alarm and dispersed. Of course. Oh, it's cool to hang out with the cool guys until everybody's busted and then the lights come on and you want to put distance in between. I don't even know that guy. I, I don't even know how I came into this party. I was following this guy here. I don't know anybody here and all of that. That's what they're doing. They're playing that game. You know, one of my favorite cartoons growing up was Scooby-Doo. How many of you are a fan of Scooby-Doo? Thank you. That's why you go to this church right there. There's a kindred spirit. But... What I love most about Scooby-Doo was when he suddenly realized that he was in hot water. Instead of saying, uh-oh, he had a speech impediment, as every dog probably does. And instead of saying, uh-oh, he would go, rot <laughs> And I used to go around the house all the time, and whenever I'd get in trouble, I would say, rot And then I'd be in more trouble for acting like a dog. And, you know, my parents were like, stop with the rot row already. Now, listen, the doorbell or the knock at the door, and he goes through this whole list, and the whole crowd goes, rot row. <laughs> this can't be good at all. And so the rebels are, are, are saying, now, listen, the, the trumpet of the king's celebration is going to go off, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up and away. And all the Adonijahs, and all the bad guys, and all the betrayers, and all the Judases, and all the rebels who've been living it up with the counterfeit thing, and doing their own thing, and putting themselves forward, and exalting themselves, will be left behind. And when that trumpet goes off, there's, and we disappear, the church is going away. Jesus says there are going to be two people in a field, one goes, one stays. Two women at work. One goes, one stays. Two people in bed. One is a believer. One is not a believer. One goes, one stays. And the one who stays is going to roll over and say, rut <laughs> And the guy who's flying a plane with a Christian pilot, the co-pilot, who's not a believer, is going to say, rut You guys sound so immature, just telling you. But come on. They're going to say that. They're going to say rot row. <laughs> then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil, the Holy Spirit, for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy, fell asleep at midnight, though. They were roused by the shout Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil. We didn't bring enough. Our lamps are going out. But the others replied, it doesn't work that way. We, don't, we wouldn't have enough for all of our lamps. So go to a shop and buy some for yourself. But while they're out, 
the bridegroom comes, then those who were ready go up with him to the marriage feast and the door's locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids uh, return, they stand outside, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he calls back, believe me, I don't know who you are. And they say, ruh <laughs> Back in the day, Jesus' uh, day, the Jewish weddings had an element of surprise. And so the engagement was about a year and the bridegroom would go and take that year and prepare. Now, they kind of knew the week it was going to happen. So uh, the, they were on alert at the bride's home. The bridegroom would come with the bridal, with the party of guys. And then those on the street, on the way to her house, would, would start chanting, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. She had to hear. It, it was always at night. It was just fun and festive, and everybody knew the game, and they were ready to play it. And she would be ready to slip into that dress and leave everything. And, and he wouldn't come into the house. She comes out to meet him, and they go away from there. So Jesus says, it's going to be like that. And those who are ready and prepared are going to be ready to come out and meet, and then we go away. And nobody else gets to come because they weren't ready. They didn't have Christian life or the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And, you know, I joke around about them saying rot row, but you know what? There's going to be regret. There's going to be gnashing of teeth and regret and all of this stuff because they wanted to put themselves forward. Little mini Adonijah who said, I don't want God's king over me. I want to be king. I'll put myself out there. And that's just a deadly move that costs them everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lesson in chapter one, to not put ourselves forward, but to let you be our king and to submit to your wonderful, uh, benevolent rule over us. You are good and kind and wonderful. We thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. So Adonijah goes to the uh, tabernacle and he's clinging to the, it says the horns of the altar. It's just the, the corners. And in Exodus chapter 20, there's a law that said if you committed manslaughter, not premeditated murder. You could go there, but everybody would use it for just a place like, don't kill me. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading for amnesty. And so Solomon finds out and he says, bring him. And he says, listen, if you're a good man, you behave well, you can live. But if you mess up, you're going to die. And spoiler alert, uh, he messes up. He just can't keep his hands off the throne. So he tries again, it's going to be the end of him. Our king, when we come to him, he doesn't make it conditional. We have a permanent amnesty. We have permanent forgiveness. How wonderful is that? He doesn't say, if you mess up, you know, you're going to perish. There are consequences to messing up. But eternally, he seals us, justifies us, glorifies us. We're already seated in high places uh, in the heavenlies with Christ. And so what a wonderful king and a merciful uh, provision God has for all of us. Never have to worry about that. The, the, my takeaways, my one-minute takeaway that I took from the chapter, number one, life is short. Lord, help me serve you well. 
to number my days with a heart of wisdom. Number two, Adonijah put himself forward and said, I will be king, and it ruined his life. Help me resist that temptation every day, not to put myself forward, but to exalt you and live for others. Number three, when crisis is brewing and evil is afoot, help me, Lord, to take a stand, to act quickly and decisively. And lastly, when the trumpet sounds, may I be found serving at the right party, celebrating the true king and not hanging out with the posers and the imposters with the counterfeit. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight's lesson. May it sit well in our souls and make a difference in how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.